Good morning. It is a joy to be with you this morning. Please turn your copies of the scriptures to Mark uh, chapter 8 is where we'll work around this morning. I have been thoroughly enjoying the gospel readings, uh, doing it a variety of different ways, including listening to it. One of the things that I noticed is that these simple gospel stories that many of us have heard all our lives sometimes are so loaded with meaning that we miss it when we uh, read them or talk about them. For the visitors, uh, one of the uh, things we're trying here is to all read one of the Gospels each week. And uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, to learn to know the Apostles' doctrine better. And so uh, we're on, I think, our third or fourth cycle. We're going to do it five times, so uh, 20 weeks. So it has been really good for me to do this. Uh, I notice Mark has much more concise, precise little passages. I also notice that uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is only found in, or is one of the few miracles that is found in all four Gospels. I, I kind of caught that and I looked it up to make sure, but it is found in all all of the Gospels. So I, I like to think about this morning a little bit about uh, bread. And uh, the, the title of the sermon this morning is Who Forgot the Bread? Uh, I, as I was reading, something struck me again when I, when I read it. And we'll look at that. But I, I think it's worth setting some tone to. This is relatively late in Jesus' ministry. And the, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, two different occasions, happen in two different places. The scripture is quite clear to record that it happens in two different places. Now, the fi- feeding of the 4,000 is only found, is found in two of the four Gospels, but the 5,000 is found in all of them. Um, and I particularly like uh, to think about leftovers this morning. Uh, let's think a little bit about leftovers. But uh, chapter 6 records some interesting things. The beginning of cha- chapter 6, Jesus is kind of on his l- the, last, uh, the latter end of his ministry, and he went back to his hometown to preach. And when he was there preaching, uh, on the Sabbath, it's in, in chapter 6, verse 2, on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the, carp- is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Notice it doesn't say the son of Joseph. It says the son of Mary. And uh, it's probably pointing back to what they considered his illegitimate childhood. And then it goes on to name the sisters, uh, brothers and sisters, and, but it doesn't mention Joseph. It, it doesn't say the carpenter's son. It says, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And, and Jesus felt that rejection, and he, and he left, and, and he went he went out from there. And then he sent out his apostles two by two, and they did some miraculous things. And they are just now coming back. They're just, they just have come back to Jesus, and they're reporting to him all these things that they have done. They've healed people. It says uh, he, he gave them authority over the unclean spirit. They didn't take any bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But uh, they went very simply, and, and many... 
They cast out demons and many uh, anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. And then, right after that, John the baptizer is killed. Herod rears his ugly head and kills John the Baptist. Now, Herod is the vassal of Rome. He's a Roman, uh, he's the governor of the area. And, uh, and by the way, John dies without seeing the promises fulfilled of Jesus dying for his sins. But John dies. And then Jesus uh, took his disciples after uh, they had returned from their journeys and, uh, and John's death. He took his disciples and he went out into the countryside. But all these crowds followed him. And suddenly they're there. And uh, in, in chapter 6 it says, I'm not going to read all of the, 5, 000, the feeding of the 5,000. I'm going to trust that you have read some of this. It says, and he began to teach them many uh, ways. And he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And that's really important for us to understand. He understands that these people feel leaderless. And he begins to teach them. Now, what, is, what we sometimes don't understand is the power of bread. And, and you know the story. The children could probably tell you the story. They found a little boy. Uh, interesting that it was a little boy, a, a, a child. They found a child who had brought lunch that day. Five loaves and two fishes. And think about this. By the way, in one of the accounts in the Gospels, he asks Philip. He, he distinctly asks Philip, why could we buy some bread? Is there any place we can get some bread for these people? You want to know why I asked Philip? Because Philip was from that area. He lived right there. And Philip would have known everything about around there. And it just kind of verifies the, the Gospel accounts. Anyway, so uh, they find the little boy. And think about the little boy, this grown man coming and saying, Son, would you give up your lunch? Give up my lunch. That's my lunch. My mom packed my lunch. Dry, two dried fish and five barley loaves. And, uh, but the little boy, some way, gives up his lunch. And Jesus prays over it and begins to bless, and bless it. And it begins to multiply. I wonder how that happened. Like, did he have the five and he kept breaking it? And, or did it grow right there? I, I just often wonder how these things happen. But can you guess what the pe people were like? Whoa, look, look at that. What did they start? Where did they get the money to buy the bread? Now, here is something interesting that we don't understand about bread. Bread shows up numerous times, this idea of bread to feed the masses. In fact, uh, what is the first time in the New Testament that you can think of it when it, when it shows up uh, with Jesus? The temptation. Satan comes to him, and Satan says, uh, Look, you all these hungry people. Look at all these hungry people. Now here's the fascinating thing. When Rome would move into an area, when Rome would capture an area, the Romans, they would, they would devastate the countryside. They'd ruin all the crops and everything, and they would starve the people nearly into to death, and then they would bring wagon loads of bread in, and they'd also bring the circus in food and entertainment, and give it to the people. They controlled the people with the bread. What does Satan say to Jesus? He said, look, all these little stones around here, you could turn them all into bread, and all the people would flock you. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. So, this is an exact, uh, this, this is parallel to that. So the, the 5,000, they, they're used to getting bread from the leaders, from the big shots. The big shots bring bread in. The Romans bring bread in, but they use it for us. 
They use it against us. They keep us under their thumb with their bread. They starve us and then they bring bread in. Think about this. Jesus is feeding them. And, and the disciples, I think their imagination is beginning to move. And they're beginning to say, look, look, look what we could do. Look all this bread. The Romans. You know, the Romans. All this bread. And so they feed the 5,000. And then he says, go out and gather up the leftovers. The disciples do. They each have a basket. There's 12 leftovers. 12 baskets of leftovers. They started with five loaves and two fishes, probably an amount that fits in about a container like that, and they end up with 12 large baskets of leftovers. That is amazing! And just think about the power there. Jesus could have controlled these people. And he, he had them, they, they're like, look, look at what the Romans did. We have a new rabbi, a new rabbi, a Jewish person who has come in, and he's bringing us bread. And then, they, uh, then they leave. The disciples leave. Uh, Jesus commands his disciples. I found this uh, interesting. Verse forty-five of chapter six, uh, six says, "Immediately he made he made his disciples get into the boats and leave. He made them." Okay, guys, come on, come on, let's go. Why did he have to make them? Well, they, they were relishing this. They had control over the... Their time was come. And in, right, it's right around this time that they began to talk about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So this to them is about power. Well, so then, a few weeks later probably, uh, a great crowd had gathered, chapter 8, verse 1. A great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given, th- given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and they went to the district of Delmanuthia. Now, immediate, same things happen here. There's this bread. By the way, he never starts with no bread. He always starts with what is there. And he multiplies it. He is the greatest multiplier. He's the creator and the multiplier. So, so he, he multiplies the bread once again. And, and the disciples, they kind of ask this rhetorical question... Uh, where are we going to get bread? To, you know, uh, where are we going to get bread? Uh, remember uh, bread, yeah. And, and you can imagine these 12 guys. And they're good-hearted people, but they've not yet received the Holy Spirit. Good-hearted men, but they go, Hey guys, sit down, sit down. Look, 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 watch this. And uh, they start bringing bread. And, and they're, they're enjoying this because they're, they're feeling like Jesus is finally doing what he came to do. And that's deliver them into Rome deliver them from Rome, and start up his kingdom. And after all, when he starts up his kingdom, they're going to be the big shots in the kingdom. Because they can use bread, and they don't even need to go 
figure out where to get it. Their master can multiply bread. Just give him one loaf, he'll make many. By the way, this is in an area, the first area where they fed the 5,000 is an area where it's primarily Jewish. This is in an area where there's primarily Gentiles. And there were, when, uh, when the Israelites uh, invaded Canaan, took over the promised land, there were seven Gentile nations that they, uh, that they had um, taken over. How many baskets of leftovers there were there? Seven. How many tw- tribes of Israel? Twelve. Twelve and seven. And Jesus is saying, Jewish area, Gentile area. It doesn't matter. The gospel is that my power, my kingdom that I'm bringing is for all people everywhere. Well, let's keep on reading. And then the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten the bread. I love that phrase. Chapter 8, verse 14. Now they, talking about the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Herod is the Roman leader, and the Pharisees are the Jewish leaders. And they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now, they did have one loaf. Probably Peter had eaten that already, but anyway. And Jesus, aware of this, said, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said, Do you not yet understand? And the story ends right there. And I've been thinking about that story and thinking about what this really means. And, and thinking about what Jesus told them. He said, First of all, he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And for the Pharisees, this was about power. The Pharisees wanted to catch Jesus. They either wanted to use Jesus or get rid of him because they wanted power. The Romans wanted power. And Jesus comes along and says, I'll show you true power. Here, look at the bread. You don't even need to raise it. I can make it. I've been thinking about this and I think about how Jesus kind of the minute he did that, then he moved his disciples away from it and said, don't, don't go into that place where the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees is the way that they use power to control people. And I'm telling you something. The kingdom of God is not about controlling people. Jesus is not about controlling people. Jesus is about bringing something into our hearts that makes us want to live and love and give. It's the upside-down kingdom. You can talk about servant leadership. You can talk about all those things all you want. But if you don't do it, it's empty talk. And the Pharisees knew the language. And I find myself with those long-robed hypocrites sometimes where I know exactly the right words to say. But I don't do them. And he, he reminds them of some things. He said, how many leftovers were there? By the way, I did some math here. 
Between the two feedings of not, at minimum 9,000 people, it would have taken about 45,000 loaves of bread at the minimum. That is an amazing amount of bread. And I thought also back to the words of Jesus, give us this day our daily bread. And I thought about how this reminds me of the manna that came down for the Israelites. Just enough each day. And I thought about the lessons that we can learn from this. What lessons can we learn from this? First of all, I think we need to learn that the kingdom of heaven is not about power. It's not about lifting ourselves up and getting us into prominent positions where we can be the true servant leaders. It's about actually serving and giving. He called his disciples to do one thing in this whole episode, to pass out bread. Do you know who passed out bread for the Romans? The soldiers. He's saying, you're my soldiers. I'm passing out bread to you. Here's some bread. Now take it out to them. Think, I, I just, I'm fascinated by how, how it happened. Like, did it pop out? You know, they just start feeding people. And people are like, whoa, check that out. Check that guy out. Whoa. So we need to learn... I need to learn that the kingdom of heaven is about serving. And then I also need to remember when I began to get anxious and feel anxious about what's coming up and what, what has happened or what is happening in my life. Do I have enough? Do, what do I need to do? And I'm on that boat and everything looks rocky and I look around and say, oh, there's only one loaf. How, how are we ever going to eat? Who forgot the bread again? And I need to remember in those moments how the manna came down from heaven for the children of Israel. How that Jesus said, just pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give me enough for today, Jesus. And to remember that when those moments come, when we're called to feed the 5,000, he'll be there to, to multiply it for us so that we can. See, this is about trust. Trust is the opposite of power. When we trust, we're strengthened. We're not, it, it, it's different than power because we're relying on somebody outside of ourselves. A couple years ago, I wrote something. I'm going to end the sermon today by just reading this, so indulge me with this. I've written it from one of the disciples' standpoints. I probably think it's probably Peter because I identify with him a lot. We were traveling from place to place healing and providing for the people. When on one of our frequent boat trips, I dis we discovered we were without bread. He looked at us like we'd lost our minds. How many baskets of leftovers did the last two major feeding events cause? Nineteen, we said. He said, don't you understand? No, I don't understand. Those nineteen baskets of fried fish, or dried fish, and... Uh, and bread are long gone, and someone forgot our bread on the shore. How can I live on what is? Perhaps for a bit, but even my reserve wears out. Could he do it again for us? So that is the question. Can he do it again? Even bigger. Will he do it again? It's Judas or James or John's fault that the bread was left on the shore, and now we're all hungry. Hungry for bread, and the bread maker 
or as he calls himself, the living bread, is talking about yeast. Yeast when we're hungry. The yeast of the Pharisees, those pious, long-robed haters of the bread maker. We just had an exchange with them before we left. They're always trying to trap the bread maker. He tells us that we need to be careful or their yeast will ferment our bread. We common people have no desire to be like those pious destroyers. Yet there is an urge to fight fire with fire. Why can't the bread maker set up a system that we can rule for him on this, in this world? In this system, we could help so many. After all, the Romans do it when they come into a village and starve that village and then offer them bread. We could do the same things. They entertain and feed the whole village into quiet submission. The long robes do it by controlling the alms boxes. And if you don't behave quite right, you never get any of the bread. And trust me, I didn't get any. What is this with bread anyway? We all need it. We all eat it. It controls our lives. Here we are. In the last few days, we have seen tons of bread appear from nothing. And when we really need the bread, he's talking about yeast. The rabbi tells us of being without bread for 40 days once. Even the devil recognized his bread-making abilities, and he didn't do it. Why didn't he do it? Why certain times and not others? I'm hungry. I want some. Bread. Why does he not use his power to build a base of power? We get to have a following and push for what we really want. A free Israel, free from the power of the Romans and the long robes. They've imposed on this so much on all of us. Many of us, all of us know someone either killed or destroyed by those fools. But also freedom from the long robes who hold power over us with their formulas. Do this or don't do this. From eating to bathing to sleeping, they want to dictate our lives, and I'm sick of it. What we all want is freedom. If only the bread maker would use his power to sway the people, we could build a force of thousands. After all, if you control the food and you have the power to produce the food, you have the power. Instead, the bread maker teaches the people to love their enemies. Love their enemies? How can you love the Romans? Perhaps even bigger is, how can you love the long robes, those pious robbers of soul? Count me out. I can respect him, perhaps even some of the others in, this, in our small boat here, but our enemies doesn't work for me. The bread maker. Do I want to be like him? Yes. People flock fly, like flies to old meat. To him. He's kind to little children. He holds them and they adore him. He treats women with respect and not like they're dogs. The women think he's the best. He doesn't hit on them, yet he brings them deep healing. Why? They're dedicated to him. He heals the strangest people Gentiles, the poor, the weak, those in bondage. Yet he refuses to use that power to really build a power base. If only he would stay in one area, we could do this. And we'd soon have enough strength and manpower under our control to stop the Romans and to bring freedom 
from this tyranny. But he must act soon. I think I'm uniquely positioned to be part of that big move. I've walked the hard road with him. I've done the dust, the crowd control, the feeding, the rowing from place to place. My mother has seen this as well. Her comment, bless her heart, was that at the right time, I will remind the rabbi of all your hard work and dedication to the cause and ask for a position for you. With my skill set, this could be big. I could set up a system of power that rivals anything that Herod or the Pharisees had. We could be set for life and able, be able to bring justice once for all. I think the rabbi understands that when this happens, we will have to be able to control the rabble that follows him much better. We have a good team in place to do so. The other 11 are uniquely gifted to take that power and develop programs and plans to make the revolution work. Ah, I finally said the word. Revolution. That's what I want. Revolution like Israel has never seen. And yet, the strangest thing, the rabbi is not concerned about this. He doesn't see the need to build this base of power. He seems entirely intent on simply loving people. We need to harness this energy. Power will stand forever, or will it? Because the rabbi, really, what he's really saying is to say, if you really want to bring power into the world, you need to love. How about us? Are we rowing away on that boat saying, Jesus, we need those leftovers, we need those, that bread to control the people in our lives? Or are we willing to be the kind of people who say, whatever happens, I'm going to trust that the manna for today will be there and I'm going to love and give to the world around me. Beginning with my family and the people closest to me, by the way, who are the hardest people to love in the long run. Not because they're difficult to love, it's because you live with them and you bring you to the table. These disciples didn't get it. They didn't get it. Jesus questioned them, don't you understand? And they didn't. But how do we? What is Jesus calling us to? As providence and as his people, let's stand together. You are the living bread. We confess that this morning. And you are the true bread maker. Because when we eat of the living bread, we will never be hungry again. In fact, we'll be so satisfied, we'll have so many leftovers that we'll want to share it. Lord, move us away from the idea that we're going to be able to power our way into life. And, and, but rather, move us into a world that loves, gives, and respects. And Lord, uh, many of us and all of us have a distaste of the long robes. But so many times we live like that. And perhaps the distaste is because we see ourselves in those people. So help us to not be condemning, but rather look into our own hearts and love and give. Thank you that you are the living bread. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.